Welcome to SocialCast, the weekly podcast talking about enduring societal hurdles in the United States and how socialism offers a way past them. Hey there! Welcome back to SocialCast. I'm Derek. And I'm Lance. And today we're going to do a special episode that breaks from the normal course of things as we had them established. We want to go back and talk about the police. Because more than ever right now, it is, I think, vitally important that we're having conversations about why the police are not a force for community safety and what alternatives to police for community safety look like. So the the backdrop of this episode, because it's, it, it's going to get lost to the annals of time, is that currently we are experiencing the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder that millions of people around the world watched of George Floyd in March of 2020. Everybody should be familiar with this by now. It sparked an entire year's worth of protests around the country and around the world for people who were paying attention. And this, this court case has the potential to honestly be the most important court case of our generation. I I literally cannot think of anything that could be more important. Would you agree? Uh, Completely. This would be on par with... um, I can't even think what it would be on par with. We're talking about civil rights rights era lawsuits to uh, uh, Roe v. Wade. Oh, this would be quite equitable to Roe v. Wade. On the same level as Roe v. Wade. This would... Either way that it goes, completely change policing in America. And that really is the point of of leftists right now, talking about, you know, abolishing the police, defunding the police. Like, all of this is to start a conversation about how we can reimagine society without the police as we know them today. And I, I think the, the most important thing that, that we can talk about in terms of, of what's happening in the United States right this minute around the George Floyd murder trial of Derek Chauvin is, is to kind of cast our nets back a little bit to 2016. In 2016, the Minneapolis Police Department killed Philando Castile. After Philando Castile's murder by cop, 
the Minneapolis PD was ordered to retrain their entire police department. They spent $12 million doing it. And if this were something that you could train out of the people who are in law enforcement, George Floyd would still be alive. The, the second week of George Floyd's murder trial would have not included the murder by cop of Dante Wright. This is not something that we can train out of this hostile, aggressive force who are armed to the teeth and see everyone as an adversary. I think one thing that's really interesting to note about this particular trial is we have arguably the most damning evidence that has ever been presented in any criminal court case. We have actual footage taken by a person who was there. Multiple people. Multiple people. Multiple accounts of what happened. There is absolutely no questioning whether it happened or not. And, and that know, really comes down to what this trial is about. Is, is This is not a trial of whether or not something happened, as many trials tend to be. It's a trial of whether or not we're going to let him get away with it. Exactly. It's a trial of whether or not cops can go about killing people on a whim. And, and going back and looking at the fact that Derek Chauvin and George Floyd had a prior um, professional relationship where they had worked together and that Chauvin had used methods and tactics that were so far outside of any law enforcement practice, I guess is the word, that shows this was not... This was not the carrying out of law enforcement duties. This was a crime of passion. This was a premeditated, passionate crime. It was a personal vendetta. Extrajudicial execution is what it was. And that's, that's what we're seeing literally daily. There has been a cop murder, or a murder by cop, every day of the George Floyd trial. Every single day, Even someone has been murdered by a police officer. And it's it's telling that even right now, when we have this man who everyone in the country watched murder... What just happened? She keeps biting. Oh. I think we might want to put her outside. I just don't want to go in through the raised beds. No, that's fair. Where was I? I think it's telling that while this trial is going on, while expert witnesses are volunteering their testimony, 
saying, yes, absolutely, Derek Chauvin is responsible for George Floyd's death. And for, for people who aren't familiar with the way expert witnesses work in court cases, generally they are contracted and paid by either the prosecution or the defense to present their expert testimony, and it's given a lot of weight. And in this trial, we have had multiple medical experts. We've had multiple, like, medical specialty experts, people who are, are specialists in the cardiovascular and pulmonary systems, people who are experts in drug use and drug abuse. And w what we have seen is these people volunteering their time to come out and say, this cop absolutely killed this man. And we don't know how this is going to play out. We don't know how the case is going to end. We don't know whether the jury is going to find Derek Chauvin guilty or not, but we know he is. We watched him murder Derek Chauvin. We have watched as, as cops have killed just in the last month, Dante Wright, uh, what was the 13 year old's name in Chicago? Oh, I don't even remember his name. And that but they are awful. gunning down children, literal children, in our streets because they either don't turn around fast enough or they turn around too quickly or because they fail to raise their hands or they raise their hands before being told to do so. And it's these thinly veiled excuses and these highly marginal reasons that are given for, for why these killings were acceptable and why they were okay. And and the the one with um the one that you just said I already Dante right yes that was the one where she drew the gun instead of a taser correct which a twenty six year veteran of of law enforcement service could not tell the difference between her gun and her taser and a twenty year old father is dead because of it. It's just absolutely mind-baffling. And, and anyone with even just a fig of reason in their brain will immediately recognize that these are the excuses that you would give if you didn't have an excuse. If you didn't want to say, well, I shot the guy because I don't like black people. That When that's the reason, you obviously can't say that. So you come up with these very stupid excuses that no one's going to believe but because you're supposed to be this figure of authority and you're supposed to have this voice of authority you get to say these ridiculous things and expect people to believe them and then people do believe them because we have this weird cult of worship around the police in america and whatever they say must be true and if they say well he turned around too quickly or he had fentanyl in his system, then everything that the cop did was fine. And on, on that note, let's talk about all of the people saying, well, he should have just complied. He should have just done what the officer told him. Here's the thing. Cops aren't the ultimate authority in this country. When, when a cop says something to me, I'm not legally obligated to listen to it. There's no law that says, I have to do what a cop says. And there is absolutely no law that says a cop can kill me if I don't. Like, 
that's something that people just don't seem to understand about the way law and order currently works in our system is police are not supposed to be the judge, jury, and executioner. They're just supposed to be the constable. They're the one who sees the crime happen, tries to detain the person, and if they can't, they can't. I am buoyed by things that are happening in certain states. For instance, Maryland, where they passed sweeping criminal justice reform in the last few weeks, including a complete repeal of what they referred to as the Officer's Bill of Rights. I am buoyed by similar things happening here in Oregon, where we, we are ending practices that allow police brutality with unchecked authority. And at the, at the same time that I'm looking at these things and I'm saying, okay, these are the, these are the right steps. These are the, the moves in the direction that we should be making. I see political pundits on both sides of the aisle saying, oh, look at this place. This is what happens when you defund the police. Oh, look at this place. This is what happens when you stop enforcing law and order. And, and Portland, where we live, is, is a favorite of right-wing talking heads to point at and say, well, look at what's happening in Portland. They're lawless. The city has been destroyed. Uh, Antifa, we're the anarchist jurisdiction. We're the anarchist jurisdiction. Antifa vigilantes are, are doing everything. And that's just not true. Last year, in the, the wake of George Floyd's murder, Mayor Ted Wheeler moved $15 million from the COP budget to create a program focused on providing mental health assistance and providing houselessness interventions instead of responding to those calls with cops. And that, that, that program is the Portland Street Response. And it has already, in the, the like two months that it has been operational, has already been so effective that they've expanded it from a single neighborhood for the pilot to five neighborhoods going forward. And they're taking more types of calls and I watched Bill Maher the other day talk about Portland and how Portland is a cautionary tale. And I say to you, Bill Maher, fuck you. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're just trying to score points with cop apologists and fascists and other assorted bootlickers. The problem with that line of thinking is that we knew coming into this that when we start defunding the police and working towards police abolition, that there are going to be growing pains. There's going to be a small uptick in crime. Here's the thing, though. The uptick in crime in Portland is on par with the nation. Over the course of the last year, as the entire country has been in utter economic chaos and most of the country has been in isolation and lockdown, what we have seen is crime increase across the board in Democratic-run cities, in Republican-run cities, in independent jurisdictions. It doesn't matter. We have seen crime increase over the last 12 to 15 months. And no leftist who openly advocates for the abolition of cops 
walked into that statement saying, well, we're just going to take all their money and we're going to invest it in these other programs that we know are going to be more efficacious and it's all going to be sunshine and roses. No, we knew from the outset that there were going to be growing pains and there was going to be a period of uncertainty while we take that money from the cops and put it into community investments to keep kids off the street and investing money in housing because housing is community safety investing money in food programs because eliminating hunger is public safety and providing adequate mental and physical health services to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it because health is public safety and it's just one of the most fundamental aspects of any sort of change management is if you're going to go from doing X to solve Y to going to M to solve O instead, you're going to have transitional difficulties. You're going to have times where the new way isn't working the exact way it was projected. And that's going to cause people to want to revert to the old way, but doing so is actually going to break that change and you're never going to be able to return to the way things were before. And the constant desire to do so is actually going to be more destructive than just pushing through those growing pains and continuing to aim for your end goal. And anybody taking the Bill Maher approach to looking at what's happening in Portland right this minute is intellectually dishonest. They're disingenuous at best. They're outright fucking liars at worst. Because we know, we, we have data, we have studies, we have real-world case studies from across the globe that when we do the types of things that Portland is currently involved in doing, crime goes down. When we're meeting everyone's basic needs, crime goes down. When people don't have to worry about how they're going to pay for cancer treatment, crime goes down. When they're not hungry, crime goes down. We've talked about this ad nauseum in episode after episode of Social Cast, how these fundamental needs are the drivers of criminal activity. Because need. If, if I need to eat, but I don't have a way to eat, I'm going to steal food. If I need a safe place to sleep, I'm going to create a safe space, even if it's somewhere that I'm not supposed to be sleeping. And it is, it is a fallacy to look at a system that has failed so spectacularly in so many different ways and say, as we actually start taking steps away from that system, that the because it doesn't work perfectly immediately, that means that the old system was the right way to do it. That's just stupid. It's, it reminds me of when I was first learning to drive a car, which of course, in this perfect world where the cops are fine and everyone's happy about the cops existing, I learned how to drive and I immediately knew everything I was doing in every single situation from the very first day I was given a driver's license and told, hey, you can drive. And I never once had any tickets issued and I never once had any accidents after that. But then you come to the real world. It took me two years to really learn how to drive and that was before I got a driver's license. 
And then I got my driver's license and I was super nervous and there were situations I didn't know how to handle. There were times where I got tickets and there were times where I got into accidents because I was doing something new that I hadn't done before and I made mistakes. I learned from them and I moved on and now I'm better at driving because of it. It's That's just how things work. You have to be willing to take risks and you have to be willing to try something new even if it's scary and even if it's risky you have to know the end result after this is going to be better and you have to be willing to fail that's so important that's something i that's something i have to tell my work my co-workers more frequently than i really feel i should consider and i'm not a manager um but I have to tell them, like, we have to be willing to fail. We have to be willing to show, and not so much we have to be willing to make mistakes. We should not be willing to make mistakes. We should not want to make mistakes. But we should be willing to let something fail because it was meant to fail. Because maybe someone else is sabotaging that project or that particular thing. We need to do what we are able to do, and then if it doesn't work, we need to learn from it. We don't learn from success. That's one of the most foundational problems in this country, is everyone looks at the super ultra-successful billionaires who are hoarding wealth and saying, oh, well, they must have so much to teach us. Well, no, they're just amassing wealth. They haven't made mistakes, really. I mean, they've made the moral mistake of hoarding wealth, but that's a whole other discussion. They have, they're not making the life mistakes that you and I are making where we can learn and grow and move from in a better way. At the end of the day, here's what we know. Police departments have failed us. Police departments do not provide community safety. They do not provide public safety. They do not keep crime from happening all they do is bully people and murder people i think the actions and like i'm aware that this is just in my mind more because it was very close to home for me compared to other blm protests that were occurring last summer but the uh the ventura park riot which was relatively small numbers wise and it was completely isolated. We had never really had riots or demonstrations at that area before. Um, but for perspective, Ventura Park is on the outer southeast side of Portland. It's actually, uh, right now we're sitting about three miles away from it. Um, and it's nowhere near downtown. It's a solid 20 minute drive from downtown. And it's it's just a park. It's nothing special. You know, I think there's a playground there. And there was one night where a uh, peaceful protest was scheduled and a fair amount of people showed up. And of course the police <coughs> the police responded as they do. And it was relatively uneventful up until the point that the peaceful protest decided to become a march and proceed to Stark Street and start to head west towards the uh, Southeast Portland Police 
building. And the moment that the crowd turned and moved towards the police building, which was still a good solid mile away, um, the police deployed tear gas and used crowd control measures in a crowded neighborhood residential area. They used tear gas literally in front of a church next to an elementary school. Um, I saw someone post in my local Buy Nothing group that they were hoping to get <clears throat> some extra towels and sheets because their newborn baby had just been discharged from the NICU and for respiratory failure. Mind you, this was during the height of COVID when we were all stuck at home and we were all seriously concerned for respiratory problems. And this baby ended up having to go back to the hospital with respiratory problems because they were tear gassed in their homes. And that's something that we experienced all over the city. My house was no exception last summer. Mm -hmm. We were gassed three separate times just sitting in our homes because the protests had happened a mile away from where we live and cops had pushed them away from the building that they wanted to be protesting at, that the cops wanted to protect, which wasn't even like a precinct building. It was just a, a police officer association building. The and, union hall. Yeah, and the cops pushed them into our residential neighborhood and then gassed us. I had a handful of elderly neighbors that ended up in the hospital multiple times because cops gassed our fucking houses and this is this is their stock response is to abuse and brutalize the people who are saying hey you didn't do well you did this wrong we saw it last week in minneapolis literally hours after the death of of dante wright the community started organizing the community started gathering in in solidarity to protest another dead black man at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department. And we know that it was a mistake. The officer that killed him said it was a mistake. She said, I meant to grab my taser, but I shot him with my gun instead. So you owned the fact that you made a mistake. And when the community rallied to say, this isn't acceptable, we watched them deploy less lethal munitions and tear gas into the crowd. And let's also talk, I mean, we, we both mentioned, and I've heard other people mention, oh, well, she was meaning to reach for her taser, and how stupid do you have to be to mistake your gun for your taser? Let's also talk about the fact, why was she pulling her taser during a traffic stop? Right. Let's look at that, too. There is no traffic stop on the face of the planet that should result in a taser getting pulled. Like, I, that's what I'm failing to understand. I'm, several things in that circumstance I'm failing to understand. <laughs> but why was she reaching for her taser, even? Um, I think going back to the riots and the protests that we were experiencing here in Portland, you know, in our grand anarchist jurisdiction, um, was when um, the former president sent his military... Gestapo. They were Gestapo. Un ununiformed, unmarked, undesignated goons came to downtown Portland and started literally just grabbing people off the streets, 
they were not confined to downtown Portland because no, there were people there taken were people from in... the east side of the yes. river who were just going about their business. That's One woman the... was walking home from the grocery store when she got nabbed. Not that it would be acceptable, but if you're just grabbing protesters, okay, I see your agenda. I don't agree with it. It's wrong and it's bad, but I see it and and I can understand your rationale for it as wrong as it is. But when you're just grabbing people going home from the grocery store, servers going home from their job at the restaurant, just people casually minding their business in downtown, and you're grabbing people off the street, you, that's what's making downtown risky. That's what makes me scared to be downtown. Not the protests, not the homeless people, not the drug addicts on the backs. Those people don't alarm me. They're fine. It's the part where I don't know if this very it's the part where I don't know if this aggressive man with a rifle dressed in camouflage with handcuffs is actually detaining me because he's a government agent or if he's just a psychopath well and this again specifically here in Portland we know that there is a very close friendly relationship between the cops and right-wing terrorists who show up in large numbers brandishing weapons and threatening and harassing and bullying and physically assaulting people who are protesting against cop brutality. And the people that you're talking about, the domestic terrorists, specifically I think you're talking about the Proud Boys, Proud and Boys, the 3%ers, and, and all the other fucking psychopaths, um, almost to the point of exclusion, all these people don't live in Portland. No. The overwhelming bulk of them either live in Clark County, Washington, across the river, which is very conservative, or out in Clackamas County here in Oregon, which is also very conservative and not part of Portland. And they come in and they converge in Portland and terrorize the actual Portlanders who are doing things in Portland we're just minding our business, and these people are invading and trying to make our business their business. And it just, it doesn't work that way. You can't say, oh, Portland's this anarchist, crime-riddled place. And point all... the finger at the people on the left who are protesting police brutality and saying that Black lives should matter more than they do when the people who are committing the crime and the people who are harassing people are on the side of the cops. Yeah. That just doesn't work. And who aren't even Portlanders. residents here in Portland. They're not Portlanders. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I think a lot of people, if you aren't actually from Oregon, you don't realize this, but with the exception of Portland and Eugene, Oregon is fiercely Republican. It is very conservative. Once you, and even in those cities, in Portland and Eugene, there are a lot of Republican areas and conservative Democrat areas. <laughs> what else do we want to say? Fuck the police. The sum total of everything is that cops are unnecessary, cops create harm, 
to our communities. Stop. At the end of the day, what's important is that cops are unnecessary. Their jobs can be replaced by machines. In a lot of instances, you can implement radar cameras and red light cameras to take care of all of the routine traffic stops that cops are usually part of. There's no reason to have a person with a gun involved in a, a taillight that's out. There's no reason to have a person with a gun. There's no reason to have a gun interacting with a person that has a burnt out tail light. It's, it's just not necessary. And when we, when we look objectively at police departments across the country, we know that these are, are organizations of people that create more harm than they do good. And it's, it's time to set down our love affair with this slave patrol relic and start envisioning a future where we're actually focused on community safety, where what we're worried about is making sure that our friends, our families, and our neighbors are taken care of and not constantly living in the fear of dying at the hands of someone who has been trained to see them as an enemy. Anymore. I think that's feeling like I've said everything I wanted to say. I concur. Thank you for joining us for this week's Social Cast. Social Cast publishes a new episode every Sunday, so make sure to add us to your podcast library to be notified of new content. Social Cast is available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Join the conversation with us on social media. Find us on Facebook under Social Cast Podcast and on Twitter at Social Cast Pod. If you're interested in supporting Social Cast, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash socialcast.